I'm very excited that tonight, um, talking about her lifelong love of poetry, and in particular, Dylan Thomas, we have author, broadcaster, and judge of this year's Dylan Thomas Prize, Karis Matthews. Please welcome her. Thank you for having me, Damien. Thanks uh, for the welcome we've had tonight. I wasn't really sure what to expect at all. So um, I brought everything with me, just in case. <laughs> Dylan Thomas, we were on a, a walking tour in New York a couple of years ago, Edgar Allan Poe. And um, the guide who'd been doing this for 12 years stopped outside St. Vincent's Hospital, just opposite the White Horse pub, and said, this is where Dylan Thomas, the great Irish poet, died. <laughs> so I figured there's work to be done. So I don't apologize for talking about this great poet from my home country at all. Um, and he looms large in my family too. My uncle Colin Edwards um, thankfully uh, recorded all of the people that had ever come in contact with Dylan Thomas that he could find, whether that was in Iran, America, Oxford, um, and the mother of Dylan Thomas, and all the family that were, were still around. And uh, that remains the lar largest archive of interviews about Dylan Thomas by people he knew. Um, it's still in the Welsh National Library, um, and something that I'm very, very proud of. But at the time, I was an 11-year-old just in the lounge where he'd come and visit. He was an expat living in America. Uh, but he'd come and visit us and rock on our chairs in the lounge, and I just have this vision of him... Um, sitting there in front of, remember the floral wallpaper um, that we all used to have, well, at least we had, in, in every room. Don't, don't, don't be nasty now. <laughs> I'm, I'm a newbie here, like, he's only, you're off now, right? That's my brother. No, no, <laughs> no. So, very proud of him, but I, I've got to admit, I didn't really, really understand how great his work was until I was much older. In fact, I was pregnant with my first child and sitting in a place called Greer. Anyone know Greer? No, I wouldn't either. It's about 2,000 population in the middle of South Carolina. Um, and I was, you know how you get at the end of your pregnancy when you just sit there and, you, and the clock seems to tick louder and the time just yawns endlessly ahead of you and you're not sure what to expect because it's your first child. It was one of those, and, and I happened to be... It was Christmas time, or I was, I was found a box of Christmas decorations or something. It couldn't have been Christmas, because my child was born in August. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but there was this box, and I found this tiny Christmas decoration of a child's Christmas, and it was Dylan Thomas in miniature, and I sat, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it three times at least that day. And it was then that I really realized, oh my gosh, this guy has such a beautiful voice. And um, I reread all, all of the work that I could get hold of. My favorite, though, remains this one, this little pink jacketed one, quite early one morning, which was always in the house. You know, those books that you can always remember growing up with. And this, this was his, the, the one of Dylan Thomas that was always around in the house. Why I love it so much is... There are essays here and thoughts, and, 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 and it's the first time that you kind of get a glimpse into the thinking behind of the buffoon character that we're all too familiar with. Um, his ideas on other poets, um, 
places he's visited. But so let, let me start reading. Um, I love the chapter that he's written on poetry. I love reading poetry aloud as well. I don't know if there are any six music listeners here. Yeah. Uh, 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Yes, yes, yes. So you'll know I'm a bit obsessed with the old spoken word. So uh, this is Dylan Thomas on poetry. Almost anything one says about poetry is as true and important as anything else that anyone else has said. Some people react physically to the magic of poetry, to the moments, that is, of authentic revelation, of the communication, the sharing, at its highest level of personal experience. They say they feel a twanging at their tear ducts, or a prickling of the scalp, or a tickling of the spine, or tremors in what they hope is their heart. Others say that they have a kind of a sort of a vague feeling somewhere that this is the real stuff. Others claim that their purely aesthetic emotion was induced by certain assonances and alliterations. And some are content merely to say as they said of the first cinematographic picture, by God, it moves. (laughs) And so, of course, by God it does, for that is another name for the magic beyond definition. The magic in a poem is always accidental. No poet would labor intensively upon the intricate craft of poetry, unless he hoped that suddenly the accident of magic would occur. He has to agree with Chesterton that the miraculous thing about miracles is that they do sometimes happen. And the best poem is that whose worked upon and magical passages come closest in texture and intensity to those moments of magical accident. And there's this to be said too. Poetry to a poet is the most rewarding work in the world. A good poem is a contribution to reality. The world is never the same once a good poem has been added to it. A good poem helps to change the shape and significance of the universe, helps to extend everyone's knowledge of himself and the world around him. I love that that passage, all of us that write in in any kind of shape or form are trying to get that magic and and you can undo things you can you can be a performer and take away the pyrotechnics and the and the and the stylists and the dancing and you can unpick the song until it's at its simplest form, but if it's a good song, you can't unpick the magic and and that's the same and that's what he's saying about poetry as well and and I love the line the world is never the same once a good poem has been added to it um so I should I guess read a poem and and the thing I love as well about Dylan Thomas is that he hated talking about his own poetry he would just rather say I'm going to read aloud now <laughs> and another thing about Dylan Thomas that people don't realize is that he wrote some of his most amazing poetry, Death Has No Dominion, for instance, when he was not out of his teens. He was 18 and 19 years of age writing this incredible poetry. 
This is an example. He started this at the age of 18, and it's got the finest last line of, of, of any piece of work. Although I say that, but I enjoy so many pieces of work. It's like, it, no, hang on, but tonight, tonight is it. It's called Should Lantern Shine? Should Lantern Shine? The holy face caught in an octagon of unaccustomed light would wither up. And any boy of love looked twice before he fell from grace. The features in their private dark are formed of flesh. But let the false day come, and from her lips the faded pigments fall. The mummy cloths expose an ancient breast. I have been told to reason by the heart. But heart, like head, leads helplessly. I have been told to reason by the pulse, and when it quickens, alter the action's pace, till field and roof lie level and the same, so fast I move defying time, the quiet gentleman whose beard wags in Egyptian wind. I have heard many years of telling, and many years should see some change. The ball I threw while playing in the park has not yet reached the ground. And um, another one, again, 18. He didn't delve completely into the belly of politics, but I think he says it all with this one. The hand that signed the paper. The hand that signed the paper felled a city. Five sovereign fingers taxed the breath, doubled the globe of dead and halved a country. These five kings did a king to death. The mighty hand leads to a sloping shoulder. The finger joints are cramped with chalk. A goose's quill has put an end to murder, that put an end to talk. The hand that signed the treaty bred of fever, and famine grew, and locusts came. Great is the hand that holds dominion over man by a scribbled name. The five kings count the dead, but do not soften the crusted wound, nor stroke the brow. A hand rules pity as a hand rules heaven. Hands have no tears to flow. Leaders take note. <laughs> okay, so I went shopping yesterday. I was excited when Damien asked me to come along, and um, I didn't know I was going to be the final one putting a coffin into this room's uh, <laughs> lit salon uh, events, but uh, let's um, kind of finish it with a great bang and, and a nod to, to a future event, which, if you don't mind, um, Naomi, is Christmas. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> 
I, I, I had planned to sing a lovely carol. <laughs> that Jesus Christ the goat, tell it on the mound. Over the hill. I won't be doing that one. It's a, it's a good one. Goat, will you play the gong for me then? It's that offbeat that makes it. Right, I'm going to find it. Oh, I was going to read Larn. Hmm. Is somebody from Larn here? You love the, the, the place or the actual... Great, I'm going to read it for you, sir. <laughs> Dylan Thomas. Okay. Wales. Yeah. <laughs> He's on the curriculum in Australia. He's on the curriculum in Germany. The greatest archive, apart from my Uncle Collins, is in Texas. His work isn't just about Wales, is it? It has the accent of Wales, but it's not just about Wales. He has a universal voice that speaks to everyone because he loves people and he loves the human character and all the flaws. And so when he talks about Lan, you could be in a small town from Ghana or something and find something that you can identify with in this. Well, that's my theory. So let's have a look. So there's many of us that don't come from London here, I guess. We all kind of migrate to the big city for some reason. It kind of works for that as well, but let's, let's just see. See if you agree with me. Lan. Now, some people live in Lan because they were born in Lan and so no, saw no good reason to move. Others migrated here for a number of curious reasons, from places as distant and improbable as Tonopandi or even England, and, <laughs> and have now been absorbed by the natives. Some entered the town in the dark and immediately disappeared, and can sometimes be heard on hushed black nights making noises in ruined houses or perhaps it is the white owls breathing close together like ghosts in bed. Others have almost certainly come here to escape the international police. <laughs> or their wives. And there are those, too, who still do not know and will never know why they are here at all. You can see them any day of the week slowly, dopely, wandering up and down the streets like Welsh opium eaters half asleep in a heavy, bewildered daze. See, it's London, isn't it? No, no, no. And some, like myself, just came one day for the day and never left, got off the bus and forgot to get on again. Whatever the reason, if any, for our being here in this timeless, mild, beguiling island of a town with its seven public houses, one chapel in action, one church, one factory, two billiard tables, one St. Bernard's without brandy, one policeman, three rivers, a visiting sea, one Rolls-Royce selling fish and chips, one cannon, cast iron, one chancellor, flesh and blood, one Port Reeve, one Danny Ray, and a multitude of mixed birds, here we just are. And there is nowhere like it anywhere at all. It's just, it's, it's a fabulous one, and it, and it says at some point, um, let me see, where is it? He gets so um, 
close to the locals that, that he could walk down the street without being stoned anymore. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I, I don't want to take too long doing this. Um, I want to end with a bit of a bang. So I went shopping, and you're going to help me out here. Yeah. Um, could yeah. I have two volunteers from the second row there? That's one. Could I have another one? Don't be all right. You, you're going to have that, and and two from the second row here. Yeah, and and another. There you go. That's one, two, three, four. That's Kind of occupational therapy. <laughs> no, I can't. I'm so unmusical. excited now. <laughs> this is for very special people. <laughs> um, yes, you'll feel very much better after. It's like therapy, Naomi. Oh, thank you. I, um, I've been singing. Naomi's getting very excited. Um, <laughs> you will, you'll start associating that with Christmas, won't you? <laughs> oh, we had such good fun. <laughs> Hang on, I've got to find it. Yes, I've been, I've been singing for quite a while, um, over 20 years actually. And, you know, it's always nice to do things that you keep, you know, it, it's a bad sign if you're not amused on stage. <laughs> and, and, um, last few years I've, I've been sort of playing lots of different songs a lot of Woody Guthrie songs recently it was his centenary this year um, Robert Burns has come and slipped into the set list and and um, and recently in the last two years anyway a lot of poetry as well whether people like it or not um, I love it and and, I, and I'm I, I have this one Do you know this hag of bear one it, and you put yourself in the shoes of a lady that lived in like ninth century Ireland, um, that used to hang out with all the knights, and then like she's 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 now like toothless and one eyeless, and 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 her hair's falling out and things. It's brilliant, but I'm not going to do that one. <laughs> but what I was trying to say was that I got my musicians to just play along to help with the atmosphere, and they'd never heard it before, just to test the musicians to see if they're listening too. You see, um, and I I loved it. I'm not sure if they loved it, but it was bloody good. Um, okay, so now 
This is another one that we do. Um, and because I didn't bring my musicians tonight, we've got a lovely um, group of people that are going to help me. So please, a round of applause to everybody that's going to help. <laughs> they all have their orders, and if they do it wrong, I sack them. Okay. So Christmas it is, Naomi, okay? Okay, okay. I've heard of it. Okay, good. <laughs> In goes my hand into that wool white bed. It'll be a while, so don't get too excited. <laughs> really, it'll be fine. You won't miss it. You won't miss your entries. In goes my hand into that wool white bell-tongued ball of holidays resting at the margin of the carol singing sea. And out came Mrs. Prothero and the firemen. It was on the afternoon of the day of Christmas Eve, and I was in Mrs. Prothero's garden, waiting for cats with her son, Jim. It was snowing. Yeah, that's a good practice. <laughs> it was... Uh, not yet, okay. I will, I'll point at you, right? <laughs> I'm very bossy, aren't I? Anyway... It was always snowing at Christmas. December, in my memory, is white as Lapland, though there were no deer, reindeers. But there were cats, patient, cold, and callous, our hands wrapped in socks. We waited to snowball the cats. Where's the snowball? There we are. That's a snowball landing. Okay, just go with it. Go with it. Sleek and long as jaguars and terrible whiskered, spitting and snarling, they would slink and sidle over the white back garden walls. And the lynx-eyed hunters, Jim and I, fur-capped and moccasin trappers from Hudson's Bay off Eversley Road, would hurl our deadly snowballs at the green of their eyes. The wise cats never appeared. We were so still, Eskimo-footed Arctic marksmen in the muffling silence of the eternal snows, eternal ever since Wednesday, that we never heard Mrs. Prothero's first cry from her igloo at the bottom of the garden, or if we heard it at all, it was to us like the far-off challenge of our enemy and prey, the neighbour's polar cat. But soon the voice grew louder. Okay. Fire! cried Mrs. Prothero, and she beat the dinner gong. She beat it. That's it. And we ran down the garden with snowballs in our arms toward the house and smoke indeed was pouring out of the dining room and the gong was bombulating and Mrs. Prothero was announcing ruin like a town crier in Pompeii. This was better than all the cats in Wales standing on a wall in a row. We bounded into the house laden with snowballs and stopped at the open door of the smoke-filled room. Something was burning all right. Perhaps it was Mr. Prothero, who always slept there after midday dinner with a newspaper over, it, over his face. But he was standing in the middle of the room saying, A fine Christmas! And smacking at the smoke with a slipper. Excellent work. Excellent work. I always love that, because, you know, slippers wouldn't make a noise. But I like it. And that's a good job you just did. Call a fire brigade! cried Mrs. Prothero as she beat the gong. They won't be... No, they won't be there, said, said Mr. Prothero. It's Christmas! <laughs> there was no fire to be seen, 
only clouds of smoke and Mr. Prothero standing in the middle of them, waving his slipper as though he were conducting. Do something, he said. And we threw all our snowballs into the smoke. (laughs) Really fast, like that. I think we missed Mr. Prothero and ran out of the house to the telephone box. Let's call the police as well, Jim said. On the ambulance. And Ernie Jenkins, he likes fires. But we only called the fire brigade. And soon the fire engine came and three tall men... Oh, we didn't... Oh, no, it's your chance in a minute. But we only called the fire brigade. And soon the fire engine came and three tall men in helmets brought a hose into the house. And Mr. Prothero got out just in time before they turned it on. Ready, everybody, right? Nobody could have had a noisier Christmas Eve. And when the firemen turned off the hose and were standing in the wet and smoky room, bless you, Jim's aunt, Miss Prothero, came downstairs and peered in at them. Jim and I waited very quietly to hear what she would say to them. She said the right thing always. She looked at the three tall firemen in their shining helmets standing among the smoke and cinders and dissolving snowballs. And she said, Would you like something to read? That really was like occupational therapy for the people that saw and they're, they're, they're like so, I've never seen them so relaxed um, and engaged. Um, thank you for that. That was brilliant. Um, so I didn't understand there was such a close family connection between, between you and, was it, did you say your great uncle Colin or the uncle Colin? Yeah, great uncle Colin. And he, he, very and he, great. Very uncle. great. <laughs> is, he, is he gone, great uncle he, Colin? Yes, he died a few years and, back. And he spent all that time kind of interviewing everybody who'd spent any time with Thomas. Yeah. That's amazing. All over the world. He was uh, also a big fan of Yehudi Menuhin as well, actually, but um, that's a <laughs> completely <laughs> another topic altogether. But no, it's brilliant. Um, and so when, d- when, what is your first memory of being interview- uh, introduced to, to, to Thomas's work? Um, Colin being around in, in our lounge and um, talking reading about it. Reading it aloud. Um, no, not so much that, just talking about the places he'd been and interviews. And, uh, and then my mum would start reading poetry in the, in the lounge and that put me off poetry for about 20 years really. <laughs> as it would <laughs> now look, that fateful immortal gene starts working in your own body and I start reading poetry aloud it's um, pretty strange stuff really so I mean it's no accident obviously the crossover between poetry and writing songs and performing music is, is, is huge and um, you did the, the music and the songwriting before you, before you got to the poetry or the poetry was always there I think it's the same thing um, there's, a, there's a huge blurry line. Thomas actually talks about that as well. Um, the word in, in, in Welsh for music is the same word as poetry, cerdd. Um, and if you knew your stuff, um, you'd know that the Welsh poets would accompany themselves on, on harps <laughs> while singing praise songs to their lads and, and you know leaders. So they always went hand in hand. But there's this kind of curious thing about Thomas where... He writes about Larne and he writes about these places um, in, in Wales and he writes about them in, in, in such a particular lyrical way. But he also said, you know, land of my fathers, they can keep it. 
Um, and you know, he he was he was a bit resistant to being. He was contrary, though, wasn't he? Yeah. I he mean, he's difficult. funny. He kept going back to America, and then what you said about the big fat ladies that were meeting him I there that, that he spent story. all his time with, and then also those, you know, being met by preppy guy at the station with a whole row of, an, an, you know, um, impossible white teeth. I mean, he was quite contrary and quite critical of everywhere he went. I guess that's his eye, I suppose. And he, he had a sense of humour. Is he? Yeah. yeah. But um, no, I don't. I don't see that there's much difference in in it. As, as when something magical happens, we all feel it, uh, yeah, whether that's in, in, in song or or in a book or novel, short story, or a poem. So or as an well action. As well as writing the your songs, have you also been writing poetry? No, that's not. That's not. <laughs> um, no, I I could never say that. Um, I think you can hide behind music. Um, I I think it was would be one of the most terrifying things to put something, a, a line of words together and call it poetry, just because there are so many great writers. I don't know. I I, I would never think of myself like that. Who are the poets to who are alive now that you like? Oh, well, I can I read some? Do yes, yes, yes. I rather I rather sing or, or read than than talk. <laughs> I'm getting that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, saying. Why don't you saying that would be lovely? I bought. I, I went and I, I, I like this they're, they're one. They're evidently quite into the idea of you singing. <laughs> getting that. All right. <laughs> Look. Oh, sing. <laughs> um, sing at the same time. Uh, no, I'm not doing that one tonight. Um, I have to take this. The owls to the nose, car them where the heather grows, car them where the burning rose, my vanity. When I went down to the water. Twas there I met my bonny lad. He rode me gently in his plaid and called me I his dearie. When I was down by the waterside, twas there I met my bonny lad. I You know, it, it, it's always just, it's a blurry line, and, and, and he, was, he was a poet, a writer, a singer, a collector of songs, and it was all the, much, all the, the same, same as WB8 as well. But I think we should all sing, you know, because it's the final one, and, and I'm, let's, wow. I feel like we should all use it. <laughs> I'm a really terrible singer. This is going yeah, and, to be And you've really got a mic, and you're going to stay close. I think somebody else should have my mic. This is going to yeah. be, a, yeah. Who wants to have that? Yeah, oh dear God. 
Or a very excited Lauren man. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a very good idea. No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> I thought we should do this. Uh, poetry. Have we got to finish? Has the pizza arrived? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. We're going to hear Karen. Not my terrible. No, list. it's not just me. You've got to join me because There's I mean, really, you. we're not really set up for this at all. And even though this is a beautiful handmade banjo, you're not going to hear much of it at all. But um, poetry, you was no, don't put it on. Can you hear it, all right? And it might be out of tune because I just tuned in the corridor. Okay, so poetry, you say so much with so little, and it's the same with Woody Guthrie. Said so much um, and in such simple form. And, and, the, and this one I like particularly well. And it's very easy. I'm going down the road feeling bad. I'm going down the road feeling bad. And I just don't want to be feeling that away. And it's repeated. So, so just join me, right? Because I'll stop otherwise. <laughs> the next line. The next line I'm going um, where the water tastes like wine. Okay. I was looking to you to start me off there, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going super fast. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I think David Gilmore watching me is a, is, is a hell of a hell of a pressure. <laughs> okay. I'm going down the road feeling bad. I'm going down the road feeling bad. Come on. I'm going down the road feeling bad. Lord, Lord, and there ain't gonna be treated this way. I'm going where the water tastes like wine. I'm going where the water tastes like wine. Yeah, you like that one. I'm going where the water tastes like wine. Lord, Lord, and I ain't gonna be treated this way. Oh, these two dollar shoes, they hurt my feet. These two dollar shoes, they hurt my feet. These two dollar shoes, they hurt my feet. Lord, Lord, and I ain't gonna be treated this way. And it goes like this. It takes a ten dollar shoes to fit my feet. It takes a ten dollar shoe to fit my feet. It takes a ten dollar shoe to fit my feet. Lord, Lord, and I ain't gonna be treated this way. Thank you to all of our guests and save you from further musical embarrassment from me. A huge thank you to Jojo Moyes, Naomi Alderman, and Karis Matthews. Um, and we get to have an encore. I, 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 I've come here to specifically say, no, there's a lot of very talented writers here, poets and novelists and all sorts. If you're below 30 or know somebody below 30 who's had their novel published in the world, in English, and they want to put it in for a... Uh, the Dylan Thomas Prize next year, you could be in for winning £30,000. Um, it's a great prize. We love the Dylan Thomas Prize. 
Um, so if you spread the word about the Dylan Thomas Prize, which is where, where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you all for being here. <laughs>